Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, turn with me over to Luke chapter 22, and we're looking at verses 39 through 46 this morning. And in the context of these verses, we just uh, beginning to read in, in Luke chapter 22, we see Judas going to the, the, the priest, the, the, leader, the religious leaders of the day, and he's, he's going to them and saying, hey, I want to sell out Jesus Christ. I want to betray him to you. It leaves you with an opportunity to uh, arrest Jesus without it being on your, on your heads and the, the masses of the people turning against you. Judas will be the one who will betray Jesus. We move from there to the Last Supper. And Jesus gathers his disciples together, Judas included. And they go for a, one last meal to celebrate the Passover. And so as they're eating the, the Passover meal, here they are. They're, Jesus is, is, is giving his disciples, laying it out for them that his body, this is symbolic of his body and his blood being broken and poured out. He's giving them the, the understanding that, look, I am doing this for you. And then we move from there, from this incredible moment of Jesus revealing himself and laying the groundwork for what's about to happen at the cross to the disciples getting into a huge blowout argument over which one of them is the greatest. And so we've got this contrast already of, of Jesus laying his life down for his disciples and his disciples, on the other hand, are arguing which one's more important than the other. Who's the greatest? And then we move from there to uh, what we talked about last week and the prediction of Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. And so again, we have Jesus looking at Peter saying, saying look, Satan has is, is wished to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And so here Jesus is interceding for his disciples, even when his disciples would deny him. Peter denied him three times and later on in this, in this chapter. However, we move from there to Jesus now preparing them for what was ahead. And so now we enter into verse 39. We're going to read from 39 down to verse 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to, to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Lord, as we approach your word today, God, we come before you recognizing, Lord, that worship has not stopped when the singing stops. God, we recognize, Lord, that we are worshiping you now as we, as we receive your word with faith. Lord, that we, we, would, we would come before your word and place ourselves before your word. And God, we ask that you would speak to us today. 
God, we ask that you would open our ears and our eyes. God, that you would give us soft hearts to receive. And Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding. God, help us to take hold of your word. God, that would sink deep into our hearts and produce a harvest of righteousness for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here we have in this section Jesus' cry to the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. There's an increased tension building in these, in these chapters. If, as we begin to read this, there, there's a sense of, of, of Luke allowing us to see what's happening with Judas, allowing us to understand that Jesus knows full well what's, what's going on all around him. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. He's no, he knows that Judas has, has sold him out to the high priests. And the disciples yet are clueless to what's going on. And so as we, as we dig into this verse, these verses, we have to understand that there's, Luke is building here. There's tension building. When's Judas going to show up? Are the disciples going to continue missing the point? When's Jesus going to go to the cross? And here we have the, the really the distinction between the disciples and Jesus Christ. The disciples... Are arguing, are, are arguing with one another. The disciples are, are going to deny Jesus Christ. They're going to flee from him shortly. Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. They're sleeping in the garden when they should be awake with Jesus Christ as Jesus is praying in anguish. And on the other hand, we see Jesus Christ knowing what is about to happen. He's faithful. Knowing that his disciples are going to leave him, he remains faithful to them. Knowing that that Judas is just around the corner, he's not running and hiding, he's not trying to escape, he's embracing what God has called him to do with open arms. Jesus has remained faithful. Jesus has interceded for his disciples. Jesus has stayed awake when everyone else is going to fall asleep. And I believe what, what Luke is doing here is he's showing us this. That as Jesus goes to the cross, he goes alone. No one can say, oh, we helped Jesus get there. We helped him along the way. If it wasn't for his disciples, he never would have made it to the cross. Jesus went alone. He bore the sins of the world alone. He stood when no one else could. He is the one who's made full propitiation, full opportunity for us to be made right with God. No one else can take any credit for that. It is Jesus Christ alone who's done this. It was his body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us. When we've been unfaithful, he has remained faithful. When we have denied him, he's pursued us. When we have fallen asleep, he continues to intercede for us. When we have sought to show people how important we are, he continues to serve. When all the disciples fall away and betray him, Jesus remains faithful. Jesus remains faithful knowing that the disciples would turn their backs upon him. This is what Jesus is still doing today. Even when we are unfaithful, Jesus is faithful. And he still says this today. 
It is because Jesus has remained faithful. It is because Jesus was obedient. Because Jesus has not fallen asleep. Because Jesus has continued to, to, to lavish his disciples with love and grace and mercy. When he needed the most, they completely abandoned him. Yet he remained faithful. It's because of his great love and grace and mercy. That he doesn't just slap the disciples around and, and, and push them away as far as he can. That he continues to lavish his grace and mercy upon them just like he does for us today. We have been unfaithful to the Lord, but yet he has continued to lavish his love and mercy upon us. That's why he can be an all-sufficient Savior. He can be an all-sufficient Savior because he was faithful, because he was obedient, because he did not fall asleep, because he did not turn his back. He has become for us what we never could have become ourselves. When he says, this is my body broken for you and my blood shed for you, he means that. He stood in our place because we never could. And he offers us hope and life because we could never earn that ourselves. Jesus is the faithful servant. He is faithful when everyone else has fallen away. That is who Jesus is. Think about the times in our lives when we have turned our back on God, yet he remains faithful faithful he is the faithful servant i want to look at moving from there i want to look at the things that jesus says because as he begins to speak he speaks to his disciples then he speaks to his father and then he goes back and speaks to his disciples again and so we're going to look at for the remainder of the the message this morning we're going to look at the things that jesus says they're to the point doesn't mix words not saying these big long speeches he's he's cutting to the quick here And so what he says in verses 40 and 46, he says this, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he's praying, or he's giving his disciples understanding, that he's not talking about just prayer in general at this moment. He's not saying, hey, have a little devotional time in the morning. Hey, make sure your knees hit the ground before your feet do in the morning. He's not doing that. He's saying, specifically, I'm telling you right now, there is trouble ahead. There is trial and testing. There is temptation laying ahead of you. And I want you to specifically pray in this moment for what's ahead. I want to prepare you for what is about to happen. And so he's talking about specific prayer, not to enter into temptation. That's the point of this. Not prayer in general, but prayer specifically that they would not enter into temptation. So I want to look at this together. The first thing is this. He's telling us, them and us as well, pray in the day of trouble. Pray in the day of trouble. Like I said, there's trial ahead for the disciples. Jesus knows this. The disciples have no clue. And he's saying, pray in the day of trouble because you're going to need some help. Not just in this moment, but for the rest of their lives. See, here's the thing. All of the disciples apart from John, I believe, all died a martyr's death. They all gave their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. There was trouble and hardship ahead, not just in the next few hours, but for the rest of their lives. That he said, I'm preparing you for this. This isn't just do this now and then you can forget about it. He says, look, you have to understand something. When we begin to follow Jesus Christ, 
he says, when you follow me, you take up your cross daily and come after me. And where is Jesus going? He's going to his death. That's why he's saying, take up your cross. That's not easy living. That's not piece of cake. That's not everyday Friday. This is hard living. Following after Jesus Christ. Say, look, I'm preparing you for this. There's a battle being waged around you that you have no clue what's happening. And I want to prepare you for this. But what happened with the disciples? They were sleeping for sorrow. Or they were filled with grief. They had just heard Jesus tell them that someone was going to betray, one of them was going to betray him. They didn't know who that was. They had just heard Jesus tell Peter that Peter was going to deny him three times. They had just heard Jesus say that I'm going to share this meal with you before I go to suffer. They were filled with sorrow and grief. They were overcome with these things. I thought, man, when is this, what's going on here? I thought we were having a great time together. We're doing ministry. We're on the road. We're on the move. People are being raised from the dead. People are being healed. Words of life are going forth. People are coming to Jesus. I mean, this is amazing time, amazing season together. How can you talk now about suffering and betrayals and denials? How can this be? They were filled with grief. I think oftentimes in our own lives, when we have a, a difficult season, a difficult day, it's easy for us to, to turn to other things. It's easy for us to turn to the TV. I just need to zone out. I've had a hard day. I just need to turn things off. It's easier if I just went to bed and ended this day. It'd be easier for me just to go see a movie. It'd be easy for me to just get on the internet, get on Facebook, and kind of pass the time away because what's going on is too difficult helps me cope. It helps me get through. I can kind of disconnect my mind from what's going on. And here Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, no, no, no. This is an invitation to connect to God. This is an invitation for you to run to God. In the day of trouble, run to the Lord. This is what God's people have done throughout all of history. Psalm 50 says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. This is what King Hezekiah did when he was attacked by his enemies. He went to the Lord. King or Jehoshaphat, when he was facing a similar military threat, he says this, O Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. James says this, Is anyone among you suffering? What should you do? He says, Let him pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Pray in many ways. Prayer in many ways is the supreme expression of our faith in God. This trouble or hardship is an invitation to draw near to the Lord. If you this morning are experiencing trouble and hardship and brokenness, that is an invitation for you to draw near to our faithful God, to draw near to Jesus. He has remained faithful. He is waiting. But not only, is, not only do we draw near to Jesus in the day of trouble, but Jesus also says this, we draw near to Jesus in prayer as a means to battle temptation. He says, pray that you would not fall into temptation. There is a battle against temptation that Jesus is saying, we wage war through prayer against temptation. The disciples are in a battle, they're in a war, it's being waged all around them, they have no idea. Prayer does this. Prayer keeps us vigilant. Prayer keeps us ready. 
keeps us aware. It prepares us to walk with God step by step. It helps us to continue to walk by the Spirit. It helps us to continue to see really what's going on around us. And he says, pray that you would not enter into temptation. And at the root of all temptation is this. This is the root of temptation. It's this. Not your will, but my will be done. That is, that is the temptation for us. God, not your will, but my will be done in this moment. And with temptation, there is always a promise attached to temptation. There's always a promise. Promises are always being made by temptation. For the disciples, the sleep was a promise of being able to forget the sorrow they were in. When the, sol- when the soldiers and Judas showed up, the, the disciples took off because they, it, was, they were, it was better for them. They thought for, for them to be safe than it would be to go with Jesus Christ and risk losing their lives or being beaten or something like that. It's the reason that we overeat or spend too much money on ourselves or watch porn or any of these other things. Why is it so hard for us to be able to commit to things and, and serve other people? It's because there's a promise attached to each one of these things. It's a promise of instant gratification or a promise of pleasure or a promise of ease or a promise of security. Whenever there's a temptation, there's always a promise attached to that temptation. And Jesus says the antidote to that temptation, the antidote to that temptation in this, in this moment is not necessarily forming accountability groups. It's not more church attendance. It's not more rules. It's, those things are not bad. No, the antidote to temptation, what Jesus is saying, is God himself. It says, he is the antidote to temptation. When you're tempted, you go to God himself. Because if he is more superior and more glorious and more rewarding and more satisfying than than all those other things, then those promises quickly evaporate. If he is the way he says he is in God's scripture, then he is more rewarding. He is more satisfying. I don't, I, don't remember, I don't know if Larry read that Psalm 73 today. God is our portion. He's our strength. He is enough. And when we see God is more glorious than the temptation, then we can run to him and find our satisfaction in him alone. That is the antidote to temptation. It's not all these other things. It's God himself. So as we pray, as we seek the Lord. Our hope is that our great reward is is God himself. That's our hope. That's where we're at. That is what Jesus Christ is offering to us. When you're tempted, you go to the Lord because he is our great reward. And all these other things that are going to promise you to make you feel better or to help ease the pain or anything else, he says, those things have only temporary fulfillment. And in the end, they lead to death. But when we find Almighty God Himself, it leads to life and hope and relationship. And that is what we desire. Amen? Secondly, we see Jesus speaking first to His disciples, telling them about prayer, but then we get a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life itself. And this is crucial. I want us to get this. This is important. Is we get a window into Jesus' prayer life. And what does Jesus say? Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, 
Not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus is faced with certain death, when he's faced with the the reality of his torture, of beatings, of his humiliation, he asks the question, is there possibly another way? Now, the resounding answer from heaven is no. There is no other way. Jesus knew that before he asked the question. However, Jesus being fully God and fully man, he understood the reality of what was about to happen. It wasn't any surprise to him when he went to the cross. He knew exactly the cost that would be necessary to pay for our redemption. And looking forward at this, he says, is there any other way? The answer from heaven is no. However, God didn't necessarily provide a way out, but he did provide what was needed. And in verse 43, we read that an angel came and strengthened him. That an angel came, God provided an angel that strengthened Jesus, whether he brought just encouragement or food or whatever else that Jesus needed at that moment, and he strengthened him. I want to um, bring up my aunt at this moment, and um, my Auntie Donna, Donna Michaels. Um, and I think in this moment, it would just be good for us uh, just to recognize um, some of the things that God has done. Because as we begin to talk about prayer and the way in which God answers our prayers, the way in which God cares for us in this, um, sometimes it's helpful just to have a, a living testimony of it. And so... Um, this is my Auntie Donna, and uh, in case you're wondering, I'm not, this is not my mom. <laughs> she looks like my mom. She looks identical to my mom, actually, but she's not my mom, so I'm not calling my mom up here, calling her by a different name and trying to put something together for you guys. This really is my Auntie Donna. So, um, Auntie Donna, could you just kind of give us a little bit of uh, insight into just maybe the past few months or past year of your life and what God has um, kind of, what's been happening? Okay. Um, to put it in a short form, <laughs> Johnny's in about three minutes, so I'll try to make it real short. Um, about in 2012, in November, I had found a lump in my breast, and so I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, uh, go get a mammogram, like, right now, this doesn't look good. And so, oh, you know, it just all of a sudden kind of, wow, get your attention. <laughs> so I went to the doctor. They said, yes, it's cancer. Um, which is a shocking thing to hear. I mean, like somebody said, having the word cancer pronounced over your life has a remarkable ability to focus your thoughts. So I have cancer. I called my daughter Amy. Amy, I've got cancer. I thought, wow, that's really <laughs> tactful, you know. But um, anyway, so then uh, they said, because there's a mass, there's a lump and everything, you're going to have to have a mastectomy. So, okay, had that done. And... Um, so they said, you're not going to need chemo, you're not going to need radiation, maybe take a drug, but looks good, prognosis is very good. Um, the surgeon said less than 1%, maybe 0.8% of it ever coming back again. So, oh, good, that was easy, you know. So, okay, a year later, found a couple more lumps. So she says, ah, it's probably just like lymph nodes or something, you know. So she tests it again, cancer. Not only is it the kind you had, now it mutated into this aggressive form of cancer. Like, we got to get that out of there now. I mean, that stuff spreads. So anyway, that was shocking. 
So hurried up, you know, had surgery, and, um, you know, then they give you a test to see if it spread anywhere, and I'm sitting there, and the doctor's looking over the report, and I thought, this could be either a death sentence, like it spread everywhere, you've got six months left to live, or it could be good news, it's just like my heart's pounding, and she's, and she looks at it, and she goes, thumbs up, you know, it didn't spread, it's like, oh, I can breathe, you know, so anyway, then, um, but then they said that um, you're going to need chemo now uh, because what happened last time, sorry, I mean, it was unexpected. Everybody didn't expect it. So they said you're going to need um, chemo because there was probably just a little microscopic cell that went undetected that grew. So that can happen. So anyway, they said we need chemo now, radiation. So I've been, I had a couple chemo treatments and... Um, anyway, then I went the other day and they said, you know, I ended up in the hospital with both treatments. Uh, you get a cold and it develops into pneumonia and that kind of thing because your immune system is down. So he said, you're really having a rough time. So um, I really think that you don't need any more chemo. We'll just go with the drugs and we'll go with um, radiation and stuff like that. So that's where I'm at right now. I rejoice that I didn't have to have chemo. I'm slowly getting my taste back. You know, everything tastes like cardboard or bitter or water tastes horrible, you know, that kind of thing. It just has a metallic taste in your mouth. But anyway, so, um, uh, but, um, shall I answer the... Yeah, what, is, yeah. what does your prayer life look like What recently? is my prayer life? Okay, recently. Um, you know, when you have, when you're going through something like that, and I had left home four years ago to go to school, and then I um, met my husband, and we um, got married three years ago. So, it, But it has been a difficult adjustment for me. And um, away from my kids and uh, just familiarity with you know, everybody, everything. Going to a totally new situation. Love my husband, but it was like it was, it's been difficult for me, putting it mildly. And then to have cancer. So you, when you go through suffering, when you go through difficulty... Your prayer life just escalates. I mean, I spent so much time on my face before the Lord, crying out to the Lord. But you, you really get to experience the Lord and know the Lord in a deeper way because you're desperate. I mean, you wake up in the middle of the night and you pray. Um, like that verse in Psalms, you know, by day the Lord commands a steadfast light, life. By day, the Lord commands a steadfast love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And then it says a few verses later, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God, where I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God? So you... You, what the Lord does is just like it is so such a deep work because I feel like I have been broken. Um, the foundation of my life has been just shaken where I know I'm standing on the rock, but I am shaking on that rock was what I told the Lord. You know, this is hard. I could be gone within, you know, next year I could be gone. Or, you know, I mean, when your life is... Uh, at stake here, you know, and and uh, the, through the difficulties, but it is so good. You know, eternal life is, like Jesus prayed, you know, as, as that they might know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And all of a sudden, it's just like, 
I want to I want to know you and I he has revealed himself to me in times where like a couple weeks ago I'm laying in the hospital I've been I have claustrophobia so I, they're taking me down the recesses of the basement and I'm laying there in this bed in this hallway waiting to go and have an x-ray and there's nobody around and I'm just kind of no you know get me out of here I'm way in the basement you know and, and then I looked down the hallway and there was this symbol of a dove because the name of the hospital is Holy Spirit Hospital when I had pneumonia a couple weeks ago. And she's like, here's a dove. And then all of a sudden on the loudspeaker it says, hello, this is Mother Teresa or some mother, something or other, sister, you know, and I'm going to pray for you. Oh. And she starts praying and Lord, just take away the fear and may they, may, may they just know your presence. And she's like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> so it's just like the Lord was just showing to me that he's near, he's with me. But it really what happens is you you wrestle with your faith. So when you're wrestling with your faith, pretty fluffy songs are nice, but it's like they don't do it, you know. You have to go to the word and just say like Jesus did too, just I totally surrender. This trustful surrender, whatever circumstance you're in, I'm, I find myself in. I don't care what it is. It's like I'm learning trustful surrender like Jesus did. Not your will, not my will, but yours be done. And, okay, Jesus, as you suffered, you know, therefore as Jesus suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same way of thinking. So I thought, okay, the same way of thinking as he did, it's just the surrender. Yeah. I surrender to you and to what you're doing in my life. And what the Lord is able to do in your life, in my life, is just just amazing to me that that he just reveals himself and his ways. And uh, but that's what it's taking me. And so the surrender and the, the, the wrestling of my faith is not like, does he exist? Does he love me? I know he loves me. I know he exists. I know he's working everything out for my good. But. Am I able to find joy and satisfaction and contentment in the midst of it? Because like John Piper said, the struggle of your faith is a struggle to believe and keep on believing that Jesus will satisfy your every need and every desire. So I thought that's, to me, the struggle of my faith. That, like, okay, I want to show, like, he who has suffered in the flesh, the Bible says, has ceased from sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So he was suffered in the flesh. Obviously, it's not sinless perfection, but there's something like that. The nerve center of sin has been severed so that I live now, and I want to live my life to bring glory to him. And so I can find my joy, my delight and that's going to keep me from that sin, like Johnny said. You know, that's it's my delight and my purpose now. I see more clearly is I exist to bring glory to him. I don't exist to have a good life and have a good job and have a good family and have a good marriage. And I, I need those things. I, I have to feel good about myself. It's like, no, I exist to bring him pleasure and glory and so, like Jesus, you look at his life and you think, yeah, he existed for the will of the Father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. So I thought, I show to other people by my surrender in this, and not like, oh, this is so terrible. 
and, you know, but the different idols in my life are being exposed. And I thought I had to have health to be happy. But no, my health was taken away. So can I still be happy? Can I wake up in the morning and say, I have you, and if I have you, I have everything? You know, and I don't need to have everything in my life just perfect, and I don't need to be healthy. Now, do I cry out to the Lord for health? Yes. You know, Psalm 91, you know, where it says, he, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him, honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So, God, this is your promise. This is what you say. With long life, I will satisfy him. When I call, you will answer me. You will rescue me. So do I wrestle with God in prayer? Yes. But then I say, okay, health is not my idol. I don't need health. I don't need, I don't need security. I don't need all my children sitting around my table like I used to love so much. Okay, I don't have that anymore. But can I be happy and joyful and content? Yes. And that's, that's my struggle for faith. And have I achieved that? No, I am on my way. It's just like I've gotten a glimpse of that. That's what I want to experience, that, that joy and that contentment in him alone. So I don't have to. Have, so suffering exposes idols in your heart. I mean, I have repented. I have the cross. Oh, my. I just... I thought when I married my husband too, I thought he has a grasp of the cross. He has a grasp of the of the gospel. I want that. I need that. I want to see my sin, that my sin put him on the cross. And when you're raised in a Christian family and everything's good and everything, okay, no, my sin, my tendency to look to idols, to things that give me security and satisfaction. I don't want to do that. I want to just... Say, oh, the cross has become a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. You know, that's like, oh, it's the cross. It's the, it's the gospel. And that's what gives me hope. It's not, like I said, just pretty songs or anything. It's just like, okay, it's, it's death brings life. He has suffered for you, giving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. Okay, I need to follow in your steps and you know it says we have the spirit and the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of god and of sons and heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him so suffering is a part of glory so i thought i need to yield to this and to okay i'm willing to suffer to go through cancer, to go through chemo, to lose my hair and all that. I am willing. I am willing to do that. I, I want to trustfully, like Jesus did, surrender to that and to see this is the path to glory, you know, that I would bring glory to him, that people wouldn't look at me and say, oh, Don, isn't she wonderful? It's like, no, you wouldn't believe the sin in my heart, the pride, the self-righteousness, you know, that's being exposed in my life, in my heart, new foundation of the cross and the the gospel you know that's what brings me hope that's my security it's that cross it's the suffering there being willing joyfully surrendering to it that brings me glory and that was more than three to five minutes (laughs) (laughs) sorry that's okay thanks Antidana. we appreciate that thank you I was going to ask what the weather was like in Philadelphia, but 
No, we didn't get to that. No, I was kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, it, this, this cry that Jesus Christ has given, this not my will but yours be done, as Antoninus said, this is a cry of faith. This is a cry of faith. And what Jesus had just told his disciples in verse 27 was this, that I am among you as the servant. And as we hear Jesus crying out to the Father, not my will but yours be done, this is the cry of a servant. Not the servant's will be done, but the master's will be done. So Jesus here is, is, is showing us again that he is the servant. That this is an all-of-life disposition. That this is an all-of-life cry that in every circumstance and in every situation, Lord Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. That no matter what happens, God, from your hand, you give me exactly what I need in that moment. Your ways are higher than mine. Your ways are more complete. Your ways are perfect. And whatever you give me in that moment, God, is it, it is exactly what I need. And so for, for my Auntie Donna, it's, man, we're asking for miraculous healing on the spot when she first heard she had cancer. That didn't happen. But God had another way. And what she was able to receive in terms of, of a physician's care and the hospitals that God has opened up, God provided just what she needed in that moment. God was her provision. But for us as God's people, this is also our cry as well. It's an all-of-life disposition. How do I spend my money? God, not my will, but yours be done. How do I spend my time? Not my will, but yours be done. How do I respond to my disobedient children? God, not my will, but yours be done. How do I interact with my neighbors? God, not my will, but yours be done. How do I, inter- how do I speak with my wife? God, not my will, but yours be done. In all of these things, this is an all-of-life disposition. Jesus is, is modeling for us a perfect submission to God's will, knowing that God's ways are perfect and just and true and high, and in everything it can be trusted. This is also our disposition as well as God's people. God, not my will, but yours be done. And the reason that we can continue to ask this question, Lord, what your will is, and I'll submit to it, even after we have failed over and over and over again. Because when I think about my life and the amount of times that I've said, no, no, my will be done, not yours, God. The amount of times I said that this week, this morning, the reason I can come back to God over and over and over again for his grace is because Jesus Christ never once said no. My will be done. He says, God, your will be done. It's because Jesus Christ has remained faithful. It is because Jesus Christ has been the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That when we come to God by faith, trusting in his death and resurrection on our behalf, we are sealed in Jesus Christ. And that when God looks upon us, he sees Jesus Christ's perfect obedience. And so as we come to God broken and disobedient and unfaithful, he says, because you are found in my son, my, my son whose perfect obedience is now, is now completed all that you've done and has completely satisfied me, we now receive forgiveness and grace and mercy upon mercy upon mercy. 
That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He is the faithful servant. He is the one who said, not my will, but yours be done. Let us run to Jesus. Let us go to him. Let us go to Jesus in the day of trouble. Let us go to Jesus in the day of temptation. Let us go to Jesus when we are broken and lost and hurt. Let us go to Jesus when we're sick. Let us go to Jesus when we're healthy. Let us go to Jesus every single day, knowing that His grace is sufficient for us, knowing that He has been faithful when we have been unfaithful, knowing that He has made Himself available to us even when we've turned our backs on Him. And He extends to us the offer of grace and mercy and forgiveness, cleansing and new life in Him. That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. That is why we have hope today. Not because we've been faithful, but because He has been faithful. Not because we've, we've, not because we've stayed awake and prayed, but because He's interceded for us. Not because we were able to say, at all times, God, Your will's done. It's because He was able to say, not my will, but Yours be done. That is who Jesus Christ is. That is what He has done for us. That is how He has remained faithful to us. Let us trust Him with our lives. Let us offer ourselves to Him again and again and again because He can be trusted. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your great faithfulness. Jesus, thank You that You have remained faithful when we have been unfaithful. Thank you, Jesus, that you continue to pursue us and love us and care for us and bless us. Thank you that you've given us this hope of relationship with you. And so, God, we turn to you today. As your people, we turn to you, God. And God, we turn to you in submission. We turn to you in faith. We turn to you in hope, knowing, God, that you will provide just what we need knowing, God, that your ways are perfect, that your ways are high above our ways. And God, we can put our trust in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.